welcome to UX Panther season 3 where i dushyant kanungo talk to the leaders in the design field about their journey and what inspires them to be the best i also touch upon the aspects of the industry such as jobs trends and challenges to name a few this podcast is presented by galaxy ux studio and powered by galaxy weblinks an inc 5000 company hello ever thought who are the people behind those cool marvel title sequences well today's guest is someone who does the magic he is the lead animator of the title sequences of avengers age of ultron and black panther wakanda forever he is a vfx guru motion graphics designer animator and ux expert ladies and gentlemen i'm really proud and can't emphasize this enough please welcome an emmy award nominee the chief creative director at perception Doug Appleton <laughs> hi what a lovely intro thank you it was a pleasure and nice to have you on board with our new season it's uh i'm really excited to be here so amazing journey that you have had well i'm not going to say it but i'm definitely going to ask you so can you guide us on your amazing journey that where it started and how you got where you are right now Sure. Yeah. So I've been at Perception now for a little over 13 years, 13 years something like that. I've lost count. I always kind of remember at some point, but I've lost count. So it's a little over 13 years I think. Um you know, and I came here uh it was actually my first real job out of school. Like I've worked at other studios and and stuff like that, but right out of school um you know i started work at at perception and i was just a you know junior designer animator and over the over the course of the years kind of uh tricked everyone into eventually making my way up to a uh, chief creative director over here nice so when so you are originally from um new jersey as you said uh, did you uh, no actually originally i'm originally from florida uh mm-hmm. went to school in boston and then uh lived out in la for a little bit and then found my way uh, to uh to new york and now new jersey so what made you decide that this is the career path i wanted to go i uh, it's uh It's a great question. I was actually when I was in school, I was a dual major with uh with art and then law. And it was both of those things and eventually I think my senior year of uh of college I'd finished all of my art credits and I was like, yeah, I I like doing this. I'd had a few internships. And I was like, you know, I I think I'm going to drop the law and continue with this whole animation thing. Mm-hmm. Uh so that's what I ended up doing and uh Yeah, and so it was this weird kind of combined uh experience in school of going to, you know, law policy and society classes and then turning around and like, "And I'm going to make a silly animation now." How did that happen actually the combination of it? Did you just decide upon it or was just one day it dawned on you that with law I just want something easy going, so let me choose art with it? Uh I always liked both. I think it comes from you know in school i was a i was a theater kid and um there was a trial law um after school program and so i was like oh that sounds like fun i could you know i 
learn law and I get to kind of be up in front of people and talk and all that. And so I kind of felt like this natural progression of taking what I enjoyed doing, which is pretend things and making it a little more real with going into uh, law and talking to people. Uh, and so I figured I'd continue that. But at the the whole time, you know, I loved animation. My Originally, I wanted to make cartoons. You know, I, I grew up watching 90s Nickelodeon. And that to me was like, you know, the pinnacle of what I what I wanted to do. And then, you know, as I got older, watching Adult Swim and those and the Cartoon Network shows. And so I wanted to do cartoons. I had, had these two ideas and I've always thought like, well, making cartoons animation is not a real career. I should have a backup like law, which I also enjoy. Um <laughs> uh, it's like dipping uh, fries in milkshake. Uh, yeah, basically. exactly. These two two great tastes that go great together. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I figured, well, let me do both of these um, just to, to see which one ends up, uh, you know, resonating more. And eventually I was like, yeah, no, I can actually make a living doing this animation thing. So I want to continue doing that. All right. So with perception, um, it, was it this big when you joined already? Because uh, they've been doing since Iron Man days. I mean, first or second film that did directly there. And yeah, the first movie was Iron Man two, which they had yeah. done. Uh, I think like the summer before I started working here. When I started, I think when I started working, Iron Man two hadn't come out yet, or had just come out. Because I remember at my interview. Um, the owners, Danny Gonzalez, Jeremy Lasky, um, they're just like, hey, want to see something cool? I was like, yeah. And then they showed me the work they did on Iron Man. Uh, and I was like, oh, man, that's awesome. And so I didn't even know that they were working on that stuff at the time when I when I got the job. Um, but that was their first movie, right? So it wasn't, you know, this big, huge company. They don't have, you know, 30 films under their belt at the time I started working here. It was really mostly broadcast work, a lot of commercials, you know, doing things for HBO and, and Verizon and kind of your typical, you know, at the time, like New York motion graphics studio working on, on commercials and things like that. But after Iron Man 2, kind of things, things took off. So basically it wasn't something that you um, aimed at. It is just the organization that you were working at they actually got this opportunity and uh, when of course doing marvel all these years it requires the consistent delivery and the quality that you know any vfx studio brings to the table well sonic comes to mind but <laughs> that but wasn't you fixed it <laughs> and that wasn't that wasn't the designer's fault i don't think i actually don't know anyone who worked on that so i won't weigh into it but <laughs> yeah but yeah we we weren't doing that stuff it wasn't something i had aim for i i tell people like i i feel like i got incredibly incredibly lucky by lend uh, you know by you know ending up at this studio um because at the time we weren't working on those things right but they they did have cool work under their belt and they did do um some straight to dvd marvel animated stuff right they had worked on uh, i think it was hulk versus wolverine and a thor animated movie and so they'd done the title sequences for those. And so when I did apply, I knew about that. And I was like, oh, cool. They do like some Marvel stuff. Like that seems, that seems fun, but never did it cross my mind that, you know, there'd be the opportunity to work on, on movies. All right. So out of all the work that you did, 
Um, let's talk about your Emmy nomination. How did that come to be? And what, you know, what, when you learned that you're, you're nominated in that category, how did it feel? Uh, absolutely incredible and unreal. And, you know, all the things that people normally say when they get nominated for something that big. So the nomination was for our title sequence for WandaVision. Uh, and I think the category is outstanding main title design, um, which was a really personal one for me because WandaVision was the first, kind of our first project that we had done during the pandemic, beginning to end, pitched, finalized, worked on everything uh, remotely at home. Right. And that was the first the first project that we had done of that scale. Like we had other ones that released during the pandemic, like we worked on Black Widow, but we had started that before. You know, WandaVision was the first one that was entirely, uh, you know, conceived during the pandemic. So that was a big deal for us to say, you know, like, oh, we can still we can still work this way. Right. We still function as a company, as people like we can still do this stuff. Um, and to get the nomination again was another like never in my wildest dreams did I think that like, oh, we're going to get nominated, right? It's like, oh, we're, we're just making, we're making another title sequence. It's really cool. And we're really invested in, and we feel very passionate about, and then to see all the buzz around the show itself. And then finally, you know, get the, get the nomination for it was, was huge and unreal. And I still can't believe that, that that happened. You know, we were talking yesterday and I was uh, talking on the same topic about WandaVision. I did not realize that your nomination was for that. And I'll be 100% honest. And I'm like, every sequence, every episode, you guys did phenomenally well. And um, so that's why it was a surprise for me to get into this conversation. <laughs> but yeah, amazing. Loved it. Even my, it is one of the personal favorites because every episode, it's not just one movie sequence that you're doing. It was like every episode, it was a shift, a leap, a change of design language, which was brought into the user experience of that era that everybody was used to uh, looking at telly and those were the things which were happening there. So absolutely yeah. delightful. It's uh, it's fun when your job is to like, all right, well, let's just watch episodes of the Dick Van Dyke show to see what the title sequence is like. You know, let's watch episodes of the Brady Bunch. Now we got to watch Malcolm in the Middle. It's one, you know, so it's uh, it's a fun day when like your your job is to just research classic television. <laughs> it's a you know, it's a tough job to beat. But I, I bet you must have enjoyed it because we did um, as a whole as well. Um, so this is the point where everybody, whoever works on big projects, everybody likes to drop names in Silicon Valley. I mean, you can't go out a conversation without somebody saying, well, when I was working with Steve or when Bill came to the table and, you know, you just need to guess that they must be from somewhere and doing something and they'd like to do the name dropping everywhere. Um, but then it also comes with a lot of pressure, the projects that you've been doing, the audience, the amount of people that you can realize that you can't even imagine that how many people in the world are going to see your work. I mean, let alone the one country but it is the entire continents of Europe and Asia. And then, you know, you get the massive population from India and China coming in. And so it's like anything that you created, even those single frames are going to be 
the most widely consumed media out there so that pressure what sort of expectations and you know those expectations bring in a lot of pressure how do you handle that yeah i mean the the trick is to not think about it right we have to every project has to just be the next project right every project can't it can't be the biggest thing we've ever done in the world or else that pressure is just going to like crush you right you we need to go into these things as it's just another day at work it's just the next project um but we are aware that these things get seen you know we were talking about it the other day that sometimes whenever there's someone new that comes in who hasn't worked on one of these big projects and we all go out to lunch i always like to lean over and be like hey everyone in this restaurant is going to see what you're working on right now hey no pressure you know because it's just there is that moment where you you, you just got to think you have to think about it and then let it wash over you and be like great we're done. We had that moment that this thing is huge and massive. And now it's just another day. It's not just another day at work. Um, but we are aware that a lot of, especially with the title sequences, that people dig into that and go frame by frame and look at all the little details that we've hidden in there. And sometimes they pick up stuff that we have actually hidden in there. And sometimes they're making up things that don't exist. And we're like, even like, oh, yeah, I guess that you could see that in there if you look really hard. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's crazy to see the the reception that these things get. Having those diced videos on YouTube about let's analyze guys and then you go frame by frame. I I, I, I love it. I watch I watch all of them, and every time I want to hide little messages saying hi to them or something. But I was like, nah, maybe I don't do that because. That's so which like, one of those dissecting website is your favorite, or which channel do you follow? Uh, I like new rock stars like EA uh -huh. Voss. Uh, I think he's he's great, and there's a lot of times when I'll watch his stuff. Also, Ryan Airy um is great. You watch their videos, and they're like dissecting a trailer, and then from that, they're like got ninety percent of the movie, and you're like, how do you guys do that from a trailer? I don't get it. <laughs> um, they're all they're super talented, so they are definitely going to get the shout out from us that. Uh... <laughs> Even people who create the work that you dissecting are also looking at you. So there you are. We're, we're watching. We're watching all of it. Uh, that would be good to hear for with everyone. So coming with the same parts of the technology about the the excitement part of it. Which project do you think that you worked on and it was way too exciting that you couldn't keep calm? Like nobody in the whole office oh, was excited. Um, for me personally, uh, we did the, the, well, it's kind of twofold. So we can take a step back. Spider-Man is my favorite superhero in, in the world. He's the greatest, no questions mm -hmm. asked. Right. Um, we had the opportunity on Captain America civil war to design Spider-Man's spider signal at the end of the movie. And that to me, it's like a five second shot. Right in the grand scheme of this like two and a half hour movie, it's like a nothing shot. Um, but to me, that was one of the most exciting things in the world to just be there designing this thing and like debating with people on the team. Be like, no, the shape of the eyes matter. It has to be this shape because this shape references the Ramita Jr. run when he did that. And like, and this shape is more like uh, the McFarlane eyes and just having these debates about like the eyes on the spider signal and like what those look like. Um, 
is just a lot of fun. And that's a moment where you're like, all right, you got to take a step back. It's just another job. It's nothing. And then you find yourself working, you know, nights and weekends, not because anyone asked you to, but just because you're like, but I want to do more. I want to do more. Um, and then that, uh, so that was probably the first one. And then we also did the title sequence to Spider-Man Homecoming. And uh-huh. uh, that was another one for me that was this kind of pinch yourself moment because we got to create basically this handmade kind of high school art project of a title sequence, right? It's all done with pencils and paint and clay. And, you know, we did most of it for real um, and then shot it all stop motion. That one was another moment that I was like, I can't believe we get to do, like, this is our job. We get to make little Spider-Man figures out of clay and shoot those. Like, that's what my job is today. Um, that was a, that was another big one. <laughs> so anybody who is listening to this podcast, they must be wondering that, um, why you are calling it a UX banter podcast when we are talking about video designs and stuff. So just to clarify things out there, we are not just talking about those sequences, but also the technology which you see in those movies, right from Iron Man 2's glass phone uh, to everything that is happening in Wakanda. So all that tech is preconceived and designed by somebody, and that is where perception comes in. So... Doug, do you think that the tech that you have designed there, the inside of the the all the universe of uh, Marvel, do you think it is possible at all? Hey, you also did Dawn of Justice with Batman versus Superman. Uh, yeah, we did some some UIs and Batman versus Superman. Yeah. So isn't that conflict of interest? Uh, no. <laughs> I'm gonna say no because we want to work on everything, and we love. We love all the brands and all the heroes and we'll work Absolutely. on all, movies. all great. Yeah. <laughs> no, so I was asking that when you design those sort of UIs, what sort of briefs uh, do you guys get? So the, the briefs are kind of all over the place. It depends on, on the project. And, you know, just to take a step back and kind of build off of what you're saying about like, we do the, the MOEs, the end titles, we also do the tech. You know, it's we find ourselves in this world where we do both these things. We do kind of visual effects and motion graphics, and we also do the UI, UX. Then we also do that stuff on real world technology as well. And so we have this really lovely handshake between coming up with narratives for film and then using that, you know, those skill sets to build UI and UX for real world products that also, in our mind, like need to still tell a story. They still have a narrative. And so we have this fun, fun back and forth. Um, and when we get into the the movies, the reason why you know these studios come to us is because we have that real world experience building and designing this technology that actually works and means something. So our briefs are sometimes, you know, pretty straightforward. Of you know, someone has uh, someone has a phone that they have to use. Here's the plates. Go make a go make a phone design. Uh, and then other times are way more open-ended. Like when we worked on the first Black Panther, um, the brief was really, this is a world that no one's ever seen before. The technology needs to look like something no one's ever seen before. They've closed themselves off from the rest of the world. So it shouldn't be inspired by Tony Stark. It shouldn't be inspired by technology we have today. It needs to have developed 
from its own lineage to get to where it is now. Um, what is that? And that's when we're like, okay, so let's kind of dig into what this thing could possibly be. And we kind of work with these, these two briefs, sometimes very clear of like, hey, we, we need a phone screen. And sometimes it's very open-ended. Like, what is a new technology no one's ever seen before in the history of the world? So before we start digging in any further to this conversation, I'm going to take a break here and then let's go to this conversation part, which I call the rapid fire round. And I hope that you are ready for it. Uh, I hope so too. We'll see. <laughs> All right. So I have a different set of notebook here than uh, anything that I was using before. So this is my book, it has all the questions, which I'm not going to lift it any further because of the chroma <laughs> issues. So <laughs> let's go. All right. all right. If one superpower you can have. Oh boy, you'd think I had, I thought about this all the time. It's rapid fire, so I can't think too much. Um, What do I want? I want the telekinesis. Telekinesis, interesting. Okay, books or movies? Uh, movies. Which my is your favorite book? book? Favorite book? The first one to come to mind is Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. Still can't decide if it was a book or a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Both. Um, I did read the book first. Uh, I, I carried around this massive tomb of Hitchhiker's Guide. I had, I think, all six books into one giant one. Um, I, I love that. I was probably too young to be reading that, but I did. <laughs> Any fictional character that you can have, would you like to have a dinner with? Oh, well, I would say Spider-Man since he's my, my favorite and then ask him to swing me around the city afterwards. Hmm. But you have to be in New York. Otherwise, if you're living in like California, there are no buildings to swing on from. So That's true, but we're in New Jersey, so I can meet him downtown Manhattan. <laughs> that works. Um, and so the next one here is that which is your favorite fruit? My favorite fruit? Uh, oh, should I go cliche and say apple since my last name's Appleton? Um, you know, I'm going to go, it, it would be apples anyway. I like a good, good apple. Okay. Metaphorically, uh, Newton's apple and the apple's apple. So <laughs> yeah, it all, all makes sense. So which historical character or person, individual, real world one that you want to have dinner with? Ooh, is it uh, living or dead? Living or dead. Living or dead. Um, oh, you know, the first one that came to mind, probably because we just said Apple, was Steve Jobs. Um, I think he could be, uh, you know, he'd probably be really awful to have dinner with. I feel like he'd be kind of mean if you ask stupid questions. Um, but I think there could be a lot to, a lot to learn from him. I, in the superhero wise or the fictional character wise, I'd like to have dinner with Iron Man. I know that it is going to be, you know, sit down rant that you are listening to somebody just go on, but it could be, you know, very interesting topic to talk about technology. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then ask him to take me to Spider-Man. So, that's... right. Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> win-win situation there as well all right so if in the world anywhere you can be at this moment where would you like to go oh somewhere in the middle of nowhere i always have this uh no specific place i just i love uh i love places that are kind of away from everything 
that uh, that make you feel small in the world. So I like, you know, these places in the middle of nowhere, no technology, no, no people, just kind of nothing around you. Somewhere in the mountains. Okay. Maybe a remote country somewhere that you don't know anyone and you are in the middle of the crowd. No? <laughs> sure. Yeah. But then also like when I get bored of it, I could easily find internet somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> the middle of nowhere, but it's close enough to Wi-Fi. Okay. Your favorite holiday destination? My favorite holiday destination? Um, oh, this is all, all nostalgic, but we used to go to Disney World at Christmas when I was growing up. We grew up in Florida. So Disney World at Christmas is like my favorite holiday place. All right. So with that, we come to an end with this. And I hope that the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in both the formats remains as it is and no more remix by Disney on it. So that is just one wish that we have. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there are some movies which are made and you don't want to see it. You know, anybody else just jumping in and trying another hand at it. Lord of the Rings included. I was going to but, say, I think Lord of the Rings is. I heard that they're doing a a remake or something. It can't. There's you can't remake those movies. No, they're just perfect can't. as is. Do it's sequels not. or prequels or whatever, but you can't remake that main trilogy. I'd like to see Harry Potter done as a TV series, which each book is one season, and each chapter is an episode. So that is interesting. Yeah, because you are not going to edit out parts which are funny and all the characters can stay there and the complexity is visible. But don't touch Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah, don't touch Lord of the Rings. I think you leave that alone. Um, I actually, I liked Rings of Power. I know people disliked that show, but I really enjoyed Rings of Power. I marched through. But... <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, it was, I was watching that and, and now we're going way off topic. I was watching that and Dance with Dragons at the same time. And we had these two fantasy shows, these two like high fantasy, big budget fantasy shows. And just every week, I was like, I don't know, Rings of Power. It's just brighter and more hopeful. There's levity. And every week on Dance with Dragons or is it Dance with Dragons? Whatever the, that was called Dance yeah, with Dragons, right? Dance of- um, right? Oh, now I'm gonna, I better get that name right. But every week it was just like, just bleak and it was muddy and muted and every week was just like a slog to get through i'm like Ugh. So, i, I like drinks of power i think these shows um they are being made because they want to continue making that genre and the fans of the enterprise or uh, the fans of the genre are the ones who are basically killing it um a lot of the times i mean if you think about star wars right fans- hate it i mean it is the the consuming audience is who is going to the cinema to watch those movies and they don't actually like it but they're still marching on but that's the fact that there is media you go there you consume and this is how it is going to be um so coming back to the conversation we were talking about the user experience of the world in in marvel okay so that user experience heavily depends upon artificial intelligence. Anything that we touch and sense, be it the uh, things which are happening in the suit or in the last release, Wakanda Forever, those DNA sequencing program which is running everywhere. Um, how does the current set of AI tools become relevant when those things are coming to be? I mean, AR 
is predominantly everywhere when it comes to um, any of the Marvel visual effects that you are seeing. So how you're connecting the dots? Yeah, the, you know, AI, even if it's never explicitly stated, AI has to be a huge part of that. Like Jarvis is obviously, you know, an AI. Um, in Wakanda Forever, you mentioned they have Grio, which is the AI there. Um, that That stuff has to be prevalent anywhere because a lot of this is things that no normal human could really ever interact with. You know, when we we first worked on Iron Man's phone, we got calls from people being like, hey, can you make us a phone like Iron Man? And we'd always have to be like, no, because no one can actually ever use that, right? It's just impossible, like the sheer amount of data that you're looking at, like, you just can't use it, but we can make something cool, similar to it, you know? Um, and that's always just kind of something that we we find ourselves fighting with is trying to make these complex looking uh, systems still usable for the average person that doesn't need help from all of the AI. So when the AI jumps into the real world, the latest tools and technologies which are around us, I mean, when initially when we were looking at anything that was coming out of Marvel, it was like on the precipice of acceptance of technology to right now when you look at Wakanda forever that AR uh, that is being displayed it is now everywhere we can actually see it in the movies uh, not just on telly you go to a shop and then you can put on the AR headset and you can actually see it happening in the field of vision that is set in front of you and uh, it, it it becomes a reality which is closer to coming home the interaction parts are just that you know we are interacting with hands and uh, in the real world you have to have some things on your hand some big thing on your head and that's when the whole interaction does takes place but that is again a technological challenge rather than the imaginative challenge so you're looking forward to some of your tech that you designed coming into the real world like a tri tricorder from star trek yeah i I think AR, I find it to be very fascinating. Um, I'm very excited for the time when AR is in like, maybe not a contact lens, because as you can see, I wear glasses, I can't do contact lenses. So put it on glasses and I'll be I'll be totally on board. Um, but I think AR definitely has, you know, the potential to, to kind of change the way we interact with the world, right? Just, and I, it could go positive, could go negative. I think it depends on how people, people utilize it, but the idea that stuff that we create and we have developed could influence the future of that technology is not lost on us. You know, you, you just mentioned Star Trek. One thing that we constantly refer to around here is how, you know, the Star Trek's tricorder, you know, influenced the first cell phone, right? And there's a, there's a direct line there in those. Um, and so we see kind of the things that we take influence from real world science that hopefully shows in our work then our work influences something else um it's it's a really cool feeling to kind of know that some of the stuff that we're doing can make its way into the real world uh which i i want to see more of it because maybe i was just a little selfish and just want to see stuff that i'm working on kind of you know <laughs> realized absolutely so before uh, quoting something from your own organization from perception here is some very fun thing which i found in the, the third star trek films um films not the show the, the third movie so there was somebody who was saying that 
uh, everybody is hidden to a certain place and they couldn't figure out that where the, they were going. So this guy comes with a presentation. Now the presentation is done on a proper P, uh, on the a tripod and a flip chart. And this guy just opens the pen, longer one, and just goes through this. And then he flips and then sits on the second slide. And then he flips in the third slide. So it's like, have you lost track that you are in Star Trek? And you just went back to showing something that could be easily from, say, a movie which was based out of 1945 or something. So yeah, how do you, how do you make sure that the, the, the narrative remains consistent about tech? Yeah, I... That's one that's important to us is that there is a consistent narrative in, in the technology, right? When you see something in a Marvel movie, you kind of instantly know, oh, that's Tony Stark's technology or that's S.H.I.E.L.D. technology or that's Wakandan technology, right? There needs to be a clear, um, you know, lineage there in the technology because in filmmaking, it's about getting the story across as quickly as possible to the audience. Um, and if the design is inconsistent, you know, you start to go, oh, wait, who, who's this person? What are they doing? Why do they work for? You know, what's that person doing? Um, and that's very important to us that there is a, a clear lineage there. Why? That's why when we were working on, you know, the first Black Panther, that the technology couldn't look at all like Tony Stark's tech because we didn't want, and the filmmakers didn't want any confusion that they were influenced at all by Tony Stark, right? Because when he's like this main hero in the MCU, if you have anything that looks like his, you start to go, oh, wait, why did he have that? And that's kind of the same thing. Um, I think with the the Star Trek example, you know, if someone pulls out a piece of paper, like, but aren't you guys in the future? Like what happened to all the other technology that we were just watching? Like, what does this mean about the character? You know, and uh, I'll be honest, I don't recall that the, the third Star Trek movie, but maybe that says something about the character. Maybe that character is afraid of the technology. Maybe that character can't afford the technology maybe that character prefers uh old-fashioned pen and paper and it's this quaint thing about him you know so we're always trying to see how the technology that that we design is not just a pretty thing to look at but influences the story and helps forward the narrative in some way whether it's a character piece or uh, it's telling you something about the person using it it's telling you something about the environment that it's in you know how does that all kind of help tell that larger narrative I will take that segue into, as I already said, that the perceptions tagline and or you know, I, this is the most interesting thing I learned last week by stalking you there, which was <laughs> sci-fi thinking, which is predominantly appears on the website at least a couple of times, and then uh, there is a dissection dedicated to it. So, what do you? Thing that how does it differ from a design thinking exercise for example it is again bombarding with the ideas and everybody is jumping in but how does one think in sci-fi yeah and i think there's definitely parallels to you know design thinking and for us you know because we're working in in film so much and real world technology there's always in our mind there's always a story there right there's always a narrative there's something that we're trying to get across with our with our designs um you know like we we're just talking about whether it's about a character about uh the location something like that um so for us it's uh you know it's it's using science fiction to to see how the technology can influence the world around you right and how it can influence the users how it can influence the viewers um 
and how it just kind of has this this broad influence on kind of everything and kind of bringing it all into the design and not looking at it as one sort of singular let's make some blue glowing stuff on a map right which is a lot of what happens but it's finding you know kind of the meaning and the reason behind everything and then making the blue glowing stuff on a map <laughs> so with, with that i think one thing that you also mentioned the design language wise it, it is difficult to design i mean of course each character comes with its own set of styling including dr strange and you were talking about that how to teach people that how time travel actually you know can can happen and how do you visualize it uh, for the people to understand so how did that game to be and i was really i really want you to share that story yeah so the the time travel stuff we were working on for um avengers infinity war and i think it actually doesn't show up until end game the time travel yeah. stuff um but we had started working on it before infinity war um was out they were definitely working on it i think we started working on it before infinity war had come out um so the things were kind of all like mushed into one kind of idea in my mind when i think back on it uh but yeah this was for for endgame and they came to us and wanted us to not even visually plan anything out yet it was just how does time travel work in this world you know and that was going back to like what are your briefs like sometimes that's just the brief how does time travel work question mark like that's it that's all we have um and so you know we we are a studio full of full of nerds and geeks and people who are just genuinely curious about everything um so we started diving into how could time travel work what are different theories on how time travel works and we came up with some ideas that are you know based in theory some ideas that are just our own kind of fun things we think could be how time travel works. And we kind of put this all together and we presented to, to the studio and we made these little diagrams. I think we actually have them on our website too, the diagrams that we had made to kind of explain these different ideas. Um, you know, the one that resonated the most with them is that if you change something in a timeline, it doesn't change the future. It branches off into a new timeline. So you have one future that remains unchanged and one timeline where it is changed now. Um, and then every time you change something like that branches and that branches and that branches until you have this kind of crazy, you know, tree of of time until in the movie, they go back to the exact moment that they took the stones, put it back. And that kind of clips that branch because now it no longer exists because really the stone wasn't gone at all, right? It, it left and then was back. Um, and so we're starting to come up with all these ideas and put these diagrams together. Like I said, we pitched it to the studio and the studio's like, great, we got to talk to the writers, talk to the writers and they got to talk to the directors and, you know, kind of everyone's getting involved and we're like, oh, what, what's going on? Like, this is, this seems bigger than, than we thought it was. Um, and so that was really cool. And then what you see in the final movie, you know, we had kind of, we had done really rough tests and diagrams, you know, essentially napkin sketches of this stuff. And that gets handed off to, uh, I forget who did the, that shot in the movie is, ILM or Weta or Digital Domain, one of those guys who, you know, they put it into kind of the beautiful look you see in the film. But all the ideas are stuff that we had we had brought to the table. Nice one. So what would it take for somebody who is just starting out in the industry, uh, design, motion graphics, um, and special effects to get the job at Perception? Yeah, so, you know, I think 
we've been talking a lot about this idea of, you know, what's the narrative, what's the story, what's the idea behind something like the people that we look for are ones who can bring that extra layer to their designs. You know, I think having good design is the baseline, right? Everyone who is going to talk to us has good design, right? So that to me is kind of like the no brainer. You, you have good design, you use the tools we use, but even if you don't use the tools we use, like you can learn to use, like if you don't know After Effects, you could learn After Effects, right? You can learn Figma, you can learn Illustrator, whatever it is, like you can learn those tools. Um, but it's this extra sort of process of being able to think about the meaning behind everything. You know, when we get a, when we get a brief, like how does time travel work? You know, the first idea is probably going to be things that are, you know, back to the future. Oh, you just remove the person from the timeline and then they're gone. And then, you know, but that's great. What's the second idea or the third or the fourth or the fifth or the sixth? Like what's that 10th idea on how that works? Um, so when we, when we look for people, we look for people who uh, not just can show us good design, but can explain the reasoning behind it and, you know, have some kind of unique point of view, something that, you know, we hadn't thought of or something that we find, um, you know, uniquely interesting about that. Even again, if it's like, Hey, I designed this banking website, you know, like, cool. Why, why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? Like, why is that button there? Why does it interact this way? What's that meaning behind, you know, the animation that you put on this thing. So when people can kind of explain that reasoning to us, like those are the people that we gravitate towards. Nice one. And any advice that you would like to give to whoever is starting out in this domain and they are hell-bent on making sure that they make a name for themselves, but the path is still long. Any tips to make the life easier? Yeah. So, I mean, we had talked a bit about this as well. For me, I found the shortcut to be like, find out who's working on this stuff. You know, I would sit, even before I even knew I wanted to do this, um, I would stay through all the credits of movies and just look at all the studios. And then once I started, you know, thinking like, oh, I could, I might be able to get a job doing this stuff. Then that became research. That became who's working on this, what studios are doing this, and then going home and looking up all the studios. And if you do that, you know, you'll see, you look up perception, you'll see that we do a lot of UI, UX, uh, you know, FUI, right? Futuristic, your fantasy user interface, whatever F word you want to put in front fantasy of user interface. user interface. Oh, that's a new one. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So what we do, we call FUI and everyone has their own different F in front of it. So uh, there's futuristic, fantasy, fictional. I like fictional user interface because I don't want to kind of limit us to fantasy or futuristic or fake, right? So I like fictional user interface. Um, but you look up the studios, you'll see that that's the work that we we do. We do that stuff and we do title sequences. If you want to get into, you know, VFX, like really hardcore VFX character work, you'll find the studios that do that by just looking at the, looking through the credits and doing a bit of research. And then once you find who's doing it, you can kind of gear your, your work towards that. And I think the other bit of advice in gearing that work is I'd say like, only show the work you want to be doing. If you have a ton of experience designing, I don't know, uh, designing banking websites, right? That's that's where your experience lies is banking websites, but you do not want to be doing that. Don't show your banking websites. Don't show that then because people, 
And as someone who is in a creative industry, it pains me to say this because I know I do this as well. Uh, when it comes to that part of like hiring people, like we can be very unimaginative and we can say, oh, well, this person only does banking websites. Like, can they, can they do an e-commerce website? And like, yeah, obviously they, they could, you know? Um, so only show the work that you want to be doing, right? If you don't want to be, if you don't want to do something, then, you know, it might hurt to put all that experience to the side. Um, but focus on building a portfolio of work that you want to be doing and show that work and still have the other work, right? As an also, I have this if you're interested, um, but put the work you want to be doing at the forefront. All right. So Harish and Devansh, you both are going to edit this. So take a tip from the pro. <laughs> and uh, hopefully you edit this episode like there was no tomorrow. So <laughs> All right, you know, we are running way over time than the, you know, the the appointed one for this, but it has been a pleasure. There are so many things that we have learned, and I would definitely like to continue this conversation more about uh, the FUI parts of uh, the requirement and the processing, because anything that goes, until it goes through the development, it is still an FUI, because it is still just imagined. It is still in the future. And any interaction that designers do come up with, uh, we don't know where it is going to end up. So we definitely would like to pick your brains once again, maybe in the next season. Uh, it has been a pleasure to have you on the show, uh, Doug, and looking forward to see you uh, sometime soon. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a ton of fun. I'm happy to come back. Thank you very much. And you have a wonderful day ahead. Thank you. Thank you.